So today, we have the second in a, a second sermon in a three-part series on the vision statement. We envision a world where every heart experiences God's transforming love. And if you're wondering, yes, I'm terrified every time I say that, that I'm going to mess it up because it's so new. But the idea is that we'll all kind of get a sense of that vision statement. Last week, we studied the first little story in John 21 about the, uh, the disciples catching all of these fish, 153 fish. And we talked about how Jesus' vision was bigger than the people just in the boat. Because if you catch 153 fish, that's more fish than just the people in the boat needed. Right? And if they didn't share those fish, if they didn't look outside themselves, then they would have a stinky mess on their hands. I don't think I put it quite that way, but that's the point, right? That Jesus' vision was bigger than the boat, and the church's vision ought to be bigger than our boat. We, so we envision a world. And so today we take the second of the three parts of that vision statement where every heart experiences. Because that first part, if you try to take that on your own, it can be pretty daunting. So today and next Sunday are important hinges on which we can have that vision for the world. So let's, let's pray together. Shatter the silence, mighty God, with your glad and glorious greetings. Banish all our fears and give us faith in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. If there is anything said from this pulpit that is against your will, let it come to naught and do no harm. But if there is anything said from this pulpit that is according to your will, let it be heard as if sung by the voice of angels, that hearing we might believe and believing obey. Amen. Do you remember the job that you were doing when you were 20 years old? Turn to someone next to you and tell them very quickly the job you were doing when you're 20 years old. And if you're not 20, then you're just a listener right now. So tell, <laughs> tell everyone the job you were doing when you were 20 years old. It's going to be a pop quiz at the end. Okay, so when, when, I was, when I was 20 years old, this is kind of silly, but when I was 20 years old and I was a junior in college, I had a paper route. Yes, a newspaper route. But not the kind of paper route that you think of when you think of a, a middle school boy biking around the neighborhood, you know, throwing papers onto the porch. My paper route required me to arrive at the Cumberland Farms in Farmington, Maine at 3.30 a.m to pick up stacks of papers that were lashed together with these plastic ties and pile them into my rotten AMC Eagle. <laughs> you know what an AMC Eagle is, right? Now the first few, by the way, that, at that car at the end of this paper route every morning, I had to put a quart of oil <laughs> in that car. True. But the first few minutes of my job after I got the papers into my car was to fold the papers up and put them in these little plastic bags, tie them off, and set them in the passenger seat. And then I was off into the countryside to make sure that the Sun Journal, 
was waiting when the subscribers in Fairbanks and New Vineyard woke up. Now, New Vineyard, Maine. What can I tell you about New Vineyard, Maine? Did you know that Stephen King lives in Maine? New Vineyard is the kind of place that inspires Stephen King. <laughs> there is an abandoned woodmill in New Vineyard. There are many house trailers with blankets pinned over the, the windows from the inside. There is machinery of all varieties laying in the front yard. There are trees and ditches that creep in on the road, making it very dark. All the roads are unlit in New Vineyard, Maine. There are huge swamps in New Vineyard, Maine. Do you know what lurks in huge swamps in places like New Vineyard, Maine? Moose. Have you ever seen a moose? Maybe you have. At a zoo. I wrote that. But now I'm thinking, I've never seen a moose at a zoo. <laughs> Maybe you've seen a moose in a picture or at a distance. But have you ever had an encounter with a moose? When you subscribe to the Sun Journal in New Vineyard, Maine, you are given a plastic paper box, and it sits next to the road, right next to your mailbox. It's staked in. These boxes were my targets. I swerved all around the road and shoved the papers into these boxes. 3.30 a.m. comes pretty early for college students, and I'll admit that alert isn't an adjective that I could use for my driving. Swoosh. I slid one paper into the box, reached for the next. Swoosh. I slid another paper into the box next down the road and grabbed the next. And then I heard something, and I turned to look where my hand just was, and there was a moose. <laughs> it had been bedding down in the ditch right next to that paper box, and now it was standing, facing the same direction as my car, you know? The eye on the side of its head was only three feet from me and its rack almost touched my car. And it was really breathing. <laughs> if you have never had an encounter with a moose, let me tell you, you are underestimating them. It reminds me of the Grand Canyon. Have you ever been to the Grand Canyon? You go to the Grand Canyon, as you come up to the canyon, it's so much more than you could ever have expected. Even though it's called grand, it's still, it just takes your breath away. 
Or the Great Salt Lake. I've actually never been there, but I've flown over it and seen it, and it just, it's just sublime. This is the kind of experience I think that the disciples are having on the Sea of Tiberias days after the resurrection when they have this encounter with Jesus. The same kind of encounter with Jesus that takes their breath away. Just moments earlier, moments before this passage, these fishermen are frustrated. They've been fishing all night and they've been coming up empty and they're tired. They're tired like a college student who took a paper route for some reason. Moments ago, this man on the shore had called out to them and said, cast your nets and cast them on the other side, and they did. And when they did, their nets became full of fish, and they pulled the fish, they dragged those fish up onto the shore. And when they came to the shore, they find this man, this man who, as it turns out, doesn't need their fish. Because breakfast is already ready. Charcoal fire. Which means, of course, if any of you have made a charcoal fire, he's been sitting there for a while. Jesus does that. He waits for us. Sometimes for a long time, doesn't he? Sometimes we make Jesus wait an awful long time. But he's there with a charcoal fire, there with bread and with fish. It was him. Somehow, it was him. He was unmistakably different, so unmistakably different that they they actually second-guessed themselves. You can see that in the passage. But it was him. And he wasn't only back from the dead, which would have been enough, He wasn't only there to teach him from some lofty place. He was there to actually be with them, to share this meal with them, to be in relationship with them even after the crucifixion, after the resurrection. He's not just ascended into heaven. He he desires to share in this meal with them. And they realize that all this time, All this time that they've been following this man, that they've been learning from this man, they realize in this moment, I think, that they have underestimated him. I think we underestimate Jesus, too. There was this social media conversation last week, and it was hashtagged, my six-word story of faith. So people were posting their six-word stories of faith. Something fun to think about. One person used their six words to say, At my lowest, God was there. Another said, Nothing can separate me from God. Another was a classic. Jesus loves me, this I know. How would you use your six words? How many of yours would be like the disciples, like mine? 
Dear Jesus, I have underestimated you. Dear Jesus, I have underestimated you. This second phrase in our new vision statement, we envision a world being the first phrase. The second phrase is where every heart experiences. Here at the Kirk, we're hoping to be the kind of church where people have this face-to-face, come-to-shore experience with the living Jesus. Where every heart experiences is a project in faith that goes beyond something that we simply study or think about or even act out. But an endeavor where we invest our spiritual identity in actually encountering Jesus. Where every heart experiences, not just every head thinks about, not just every hand serves, but where every heart experiences. This is what's going on on the shore of the Sea of Tiberias. An encounter with the underestimated living Jesus. The disciples don't just listen to Jesus as he calls out to them in the boat. They didn't just act in obedience to Jesus by casting their net in the sea. No, this is more difficult. This takes a level of vulnerability. This is going to take a level of vulnerability for us as a community. See, the disciples, they get out of the boat and they come to shore. They meet him. Without knowing exactly who he is or what his intentions for them might be, they go and they meet him. They share air with him. Have you been coming to shore? Are you sharing air with the risen Jesus? I've I think we ought to be praying for that for one another. And that's what that second phrase in this vision statement is about. And I'm not asking that question, when's the last time, or have you been coming to shore? I'm not asking that to show up anyone, make anyone feel bad, control anyone. I'm I'm asking that question because I think Christians in general spend a lot of time thinking about their faith, studying the scriptures. I think Christians in general spend a lot of time in acts of service. Guys, I'm very, very connected and invested in both of those things. Formation and mission are key pillars of our ministry here at the Kirk. But I also know that those people that spend a lot of time studying and serving can also become pretty disillusioned with faith pretty quickly. Pretty disillusioned with faith and pretty disillusioned with the church. And, and I know that part of that is because, this, because churches in general have this nasty habit of misrepresenting the teachings of Jesus. I get that. But also because I think that we invest so much in study and service that we forget that Jesus waits right there on the shoreline. A shoreline that is as close to us as our heart. And Jesus has breakfast ready. Desires this 
encounter, this relational moment with each and every one of us. I ask, have you been coming to shore? Because here's the thing, here's what we know. We know that an encounter with Jesus is far bigger than a moose in Maine or a canyon in Arizona or a lake in Utah, but we still underestimate the occurrence. Right alongside of those things, it's an underestimated occurrence, but it's one that will change our lives forever. I ask, have you been coming to shore? Because most of us think that we have to be great at everything. And today is Mother's Day, the day where we celebrate the great women in our lives, the people that many people who have helped us to get to where we are. In addition, I think today is a day, Mother's Day is a day, to pray for mothers who struggle with whether or not they're doing this right. They think they have to be great at this, and they look at other mothers, other mothers in the Kroger line, who for some reason have children who do not simultaneously kick their siblings and ask for candy, and they wonder, what am I doing wrong? We think we have to be great at everything. There's actually this, um, this phenomenon in, in mothering called mom shaming. Are you familiar with that phrase? So the insecurity of, of needing to be great as a mom actually comes from, from feeling bullied by other moms who don't think that you're doing it right and they tell you about it, right? Everyone has their own way of coming at parenting, but everyone has some insecurity about that, and they don't mind playing out that insecurity by being sort of aggressive towards other people. I read a blogger who wrote, now do you see why we're so mean to one another? We're exhausted. We're short-tempered. We're terrified that we're screwing up the little people who we love the most in this world. We think we have to be great at everything. It's not just mothers, right? It's everyone. We think we have to be so great at sports and academics and our profession and our finances and even our faith and what we're doing as a church. We think we have to be so great at everything and it is quite a good way to run yourself dry, to run yourself right out of life. Especially if you're a church that says, we envision a world, right? Perhaps it's time to stop overestimating what we can do, what we can do to raise our children and our houses and our worthiness, and come to shore to realize that we have underestimated what Jesus can do with us. We have underestimated what Jesus can do with us. Because see, when the disciples get to the shore and they find breakfast ready, do you notice that Jesus welcomes them? Come on in, I want to eat together. But he says something else too. He says, bring some of the fish that you have caught. It's not like they wouldn't have had breakfast without their catch. It's not like Jesus can't do something in the world without what they have. But because they bring something to the meal, breakfast is going to be better. 
He desires to take what we have and make it part of what he's doing. That's why we're together. He wants to take what we have as a community and make it part of what he's doing in the world. On that morning, the morning that I realized that I had always underestimated the magnificence of a moose, the morning in that moment when he was looking me straight in the eye and breathing hard, I did what every single person in this room would do. I screamed. (laughs) And then I pressed on the gas as hard as I could. And I'm going to tell you this. I will never buy an AMC Eagle ever again. (laughs) Because that car barely responded. As the car lurched forward, so did the moose. And there we were. Most amazing experience looking back on it now. We were running side by side on the road. He was in the ditch and I was on the pavement. And we were there looking at one another in the eye. Finally, the AMC found its motivation and I sped away. Maybe you have had a similar encounter with Jesus. Maybe you've had that come to shore experience once in your life and you were actually running alongside this one, this one that you had underestimated, running alongside and looking him in the eye, not sure what to do next, but really energized about it. And somewhere you left him. Left him right there in New Vineyard, Maine. Well, here's the good news. You found a community that longs to get back there. Not to New Vineyard, but to the shore. This is a community that longs to get back there. At least I hope it is. I pray it is. A community that longs to get back to the shore because we know that's where we will find the Jesus that we have underestimated. The Jesus that wants to use whatever it is that we have brought for the sake of loving the world. The Jesus that desires to run alongside whatever it is that we're doing. The Jesus that has breakfast waiting. For each and every one of us. I don't know exactly how to get there. But I'm in it with you if you want to find the way to the shore. Because I do believe that breakfast is there, and once we get there, it will still be warm. Amen.